Well, welcome everyone. I'm really delighted. We've, um, as Dana said, we've just come off a three-day fast. And uh, we are part of a global church planning initiative called Genesis Collective. Why am I wearing a jacket right now? Because Meryl and I leave at about 5.27 to go to LAX where we fly to London and then on to Cape Town, South Africa where we'll be speaking at a number of events there. So I had to put on my pretty boy jacket. Is that all right? Yeah. All right. Hey, listen, it's California. We've got all these nice cool jackets that we hardly wear. So I looked at my closet. I packed my suitcase and I thought, ah, oh, come on. Get your Buck Mason jacket on. Be proud to be nerdish. So welcome, everyone. Delighted to have you, especially but not uh, exclusively those for whom this is your community. You do life with us. Um, we really love the dining room table. Last Sunday, if you haven't had opportunity to listen, it's online. We don't have a very fancy camera system, but it kind of gets the essence of what we do. I spoke about community, communion and told a little of our story of how we've got here. Well, tonight we're going to land the three-day of prayer and fasting, and we've had churches from Cambodia, which is the most eastern nation that we work into, all the way to us here and Nicaragua in the south. We're not into the continent of uh, South America yet. I'm trusting that will happen. But uh, we are, as you can see from our webpage, a community on mission. That's what we're building. We love the inner work of transformation, driven so strongly and beautifully by John Mark and practicing the way, but not exclusively. There's obviously Dallas Willard and many, many people who have taken us into a journey of transformation. We also love community where God has taught us that Christianity is not an I faith, it's a we faith. It's an us faith. And part of the beauty of the story is forever discovering the usness of the gospel. And I, I just want to say to you, if you are a little disconnected, isolated, feel a little disorientated, I understand that because what we do is an us doing. It's not an I or a me or a mine. It's what we do. And uh, just, I did that. Um, obviously, been walking with the Lord for a long time, 46 years. And I spent about a year taking my red pen and just circling us every time it happens. It's in the scriptures, and it is amazing how often it occurs. And so community is such a key part of what we do. During the week, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays, we gather around the table in different people's homes, and I'm delighted tonight. Jonathan, where are you? All right, right over there. So Jonathan is starting a new table community. If you're not in one and you think he's handsome, this is your time. I mean, he's, he and Joel are dating, but you know what? They're dating. Are they married? Absolutely not. Listen, hey, listen, listen. When I met Meryl, she was dating someone. You know what I'm saying? Excuse me, 42 years later. I'm sorry, I'm just saying. Okay, my love. So if any of you are wanting to connect in, everyone will be awkward. Everyone will be there for the first time. Have a chat to Jonathan and, uh, and Janelle, Joel, and you'll see it's fun. Okay, a community on mission. Father, help us now. I love these moments. I love the sheer delight and the informality of a community who've discovered the joy and wonder of Jesus, who've fallen in love with this part of the bride, 
and are now peeping over the hedge to see what does the future look like? What is it you are doing in our hearts and in our lives? So would you speak these few words that I have? Would you do way more with them than I could possibly do? Um, But help us understand, open our eyes, the inner eyes of the soul to understand, oh, now I get it. Now it all makes sense to me. In your precious name, amen. So I'm gonna walk you through just a quick overview for about 12 minutes. And you know how good I am with time. And then I'm going to interview Sam, wherever Sam has got to. She was right next to me a moment ago. And then Oksana, and you'll understand why. So this evening is slightly different. It's not kind of one 40-minute talk. It really is dialoguing around the idea of the community on mission. All right, slide number one. When we started, we decided to have some fun. We started in our home, and uh, I thought we are randomly connected. There were about 40 of us within weeks. How can I get us to find a shared rhythm and a shared anticipation? And so we came up with prayer by numbers. And here it is. The prayer by numbers is number one, Jesus front and center. Unapologetically, we love Jesus. All that we do is for Him and because of Him and what He will do when He comes back as he gathers us to himself. And so we wanted to make sure there is nothing else, not to be cool, sexy, vibey. It's it's Jesus front and center, and are we passionately in love with him? You say to me, Chris, well, I'm not 100% sure. That's fine. It's a journey for all of us. I was saying to someone yesterday morning at our training, doubt is a friend. Don't treat doubt as an enemy or the ugly stepsister or ugly stepbrother. Doubt is a friend because it is through doubt, through the gateway of doubt, that we invariably encounter the faith that owns us as we own it. So Jesus front and center. Secondly, we wanted to do, be a people who live for the benefit of others. We love these Sunday spaces. We love the times in our homes around the meal. Easter Sunday we'll do on the beach. We love the kind of Super Bowl idea. But all of that points us towards something And that is living for the benefit of someone else, someplace else. And so we're going to talk tonight about missions local, what are we doing in Costa Mesa, missions global, what are we doing into the nations of the world. Thirdly, we said we wanted to be in three college campuses, which was a nutty idea. We had a bunch of Vanguard students, and that was about it. But it has been fabulous to see God just attract people from different college campuses. Number four And this one we haven't done well at yet, but my faith is still out there, that we will have four ethnic communities. I come from South Africa, as you hear by accent. And one of the things as a Caucasian in South Africa is you can't get away from the beauty, wonder, mystery, and complexity of a multicultural society. East Coast of Mesa is very white, but our desire is not to establish a white-only church. Our desire is to see this beautiful picture of the end of the ages, as we'll read in just a moment, where people from every tribe and every tongue gather together with God in worship. I'm completely curious. My favorite worship is black worship in Africa. Normally not driven by instrument, but driven by voice. Normally not even necessarily a kind of a frontline singer, but someone in the room or under a tree 
and they just start worshiping and the other voices join in and then they dance together and uh, it just flows. And I think harmonies were created by God using black people. You know what I'm saying? We white people try, but we're just not as good as black people. And so our desire is to see ethnic communities this church made up of at least four different ethnic communities. And then number five, we wanted to multiply out. Our desire is not to grow and get a bigger building. Our desire is to see these communities of love and light established. I'd love to, we, we sent two out this summer, one into Tustin, other into Temecula. And I would love to see us establish one in, in LA actually. Friday night, I spoke to a girl who came to our prayer. She's from LA. She, are, are you here, Ashley, I think? She drives down from LA to come and be in community. I said, Ashley, why don't we start this with, we're in your home and her face lit up and I just moved in and I moved into a new apartment and it's kind of West LA and I'm smiling and she's smiling at the thought of, wow, we could do something in LA around the table with a group of people, creatives who love Jesus. And so our dream is to see at least five of these multiplied communities. Why five? Well, it was the next number. No other particularly profound reason. Okay, let's quick do a quick overview. The foundations of mission. Why do we believe in what we believe? Number one, as you'll see right in Genesis, we will see that, uh, there we go. God takes Adam and Eve. Now use your imagination with me for a moment. He created them. They were wow of the creation. He said good of Adam and Eve. He said really good. I mean, this is very, very good. And I can imagine him because he walked to them in the cool of the day. And, and one day he took them up to this kind of higher point in Eden. And he, he put his arm around Adam and his arm around Eve. And he said, what do you see? I said, oh, well, we just see these blue mountains. We see this endless vegetation of beauty and wonder. And he said, this is what I have put into you. What I'm seeding mankind with, humankind, is this. Be fruitful. One of the translations says, increase, have kids, multiply, let the kids have kids, fill the earth, don't be small in your anticipation of what I can do with people just like you and subdue it, have dominion, high authority language. Now, you know what captures me about this is the entrepreneurial nature of what God gave Adam and Eve. This was not boring. This was not bland ritual and tradition and repetition. It's he, him standing there, my imagination, the text doesn't say that. He's standing there and he says, well, come on, go, go, go and do it. Go and have kids, let kids have kids. Go and establish as you, chapter two, as you develop the earth, excuse me, and you, you, you create these farmlands and vegetation and there's just these beautiful animals that you're naming, come on. Be entrepreneurial, be creative. The creative God seeds humankind with creativity. I think Christianity is expressed at her best, not in bland ritualistic repetition, but in endless creativity and color. That's when we represent God, our creator, the best. Well, we know what happens. Adam and Eve messed up, and there's this whole seven chapter kind of unfolding of chaos and sin and darkness and death and murder. God acts and we know that Noah appears out of us. Chris, do you believe all that stuff? You know, I do. Um, geologists, I wanted to study geology at college. I'm glad I didn't. 
But there's a unanimity that in the geological structures of the globe, there is evidence that somewhere along the line, there was this massive storm or massive outpouring of water or something happened and most of the global world religions account for it. Fascinating. Well, what does God say to Noah as Noah emerges out of the ark? There it is. And God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you, do what? Be fruitful. Multiply. On the earth. Don't put up a little white picket fence around Mount Heron. Come on. Full of creativity and joy and anticipation and adventure. Get out there. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Exactly the same. Adam, Eve, Noah, your wife and your kiddos, get out there. This Christianity, dear friends, is a remarkable story of endless adventure. Now you can make it boring and bland. You can shrink it to your everyday and can I pay the payment for my car? And I understand those challenges. I've been there myself when Meryl and I were dating. My car was so badly rusted that we could literally see the road in the hole at her feet. We could see the, the, the asphalt go underneath. We had to paste the window because it would slide down. And so we had to, and I think once we had to use black trash bag. It was raining. So I did the manly thing and I pasted, uh, taped um, a trash bag there. Come on, that's pretty good. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Caring for my lady. Now, where am I headed with all of this? Do you understand, seeded into your heart and mine is the sense of mission, of creativity, of adventure. Christianity is meant to be that. When we take that away from you or you take that away from yourself, you will end up feeling like it's bland, it's boring, it is so uh, undesirable. And so what churches do, because we take adventure from you, we replace it with programs. Well, we have got the next seven weeks of Bible study. Oh, do we need Bible study? Oh, yeah, care. But we replace that and we hope people are curious enough to keep coming to that when actually that points us to this. I've asked from day one, would you give me four years of your life? Not just me, the team. Would you give me four years? And in that time, we will pour ourselves into you and we will prepare you for your global gospel adventure. I want to hear that you are starting a business amongst the poor in Tahiti. I want to hear that you are helping clean out wells in Somalia and Ethiopia. I want to hear that you're a doctor working, um, crossing borders into some of the most difficult parts of the world. I want to hear that you're a nurse or a teacher or a businessman or a surfer or whatever you are, whoever you are, that the spirit of adventure grabs you and you get yourself readied and trained, and then you are launched out into this great, glorious, global adventure. Capish? Next verse, next section. Now, I could go through that throughout the Old Covenant, but for the sake of time, Matthew 28. And when they saw him, the disciples saw Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Don't you love the honesty of the scriptures? These were the boys that he had walked with for three years. 11 of them were left. And it said, and some doubted. Love the honesty of the scriptures. 
And Jesus came and said to them, all authority, there it is again. Remember Genesis 1, I will give you dominion. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You, all of yous, go therefore and do what? Go and make disciples of all nations. The word there is ethnos, all ethnic groupies, groupings. I go to um, um, Lebanon, groupies. I go to Lebanon. Someone's kept a book of quotes, all my faux pas. I just hate them. You know what I mean? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, all ethnic groups. Who do you have a heart for? When, when, when you watch a movie and there they appear, you look at a documentary, Chef's Table, um, the BBC, what is it, Planet Earth or what? What is it that just leaps out of your chest? You think, oh God, something inside stirs me to that end. And the enemy says, well, you can't afford that. We never can. I had a secretary in uh, South Africa and we've been traveling preaching the gospel globally for 35 years. And every year she went to another nation and people used to say to her, Dawn, how can you afford this? Does Chris pay you a lot of money? And then she would tell them, how on earth do you do that? I just trust God. And honestly, in naive simplicity, she would say, Lord, I really need to go to Give me a place, love. Addis Ababa this year. I need to go. I don't know why. I love kids. I need to go and work with kids there. Lo and behold, a check, a gift, an air ticket. Because it has the full backing of heaven. That's what God loves doing. Go therefore make disciples of all ethnos, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Here it comes. Teaching them to observe or obey all. You want an exciting Christianity? Let there be an allness in there, dear friends. Christianity is, you know, it's like, it's like cooking. It's, it's like baking a bread and you forget the flour. It's like, oops, but I've got all the other ingredients. Will, will, will that work? I suspect not. Or you cook a beautiful curry and you throw the herbs and spices, but you don't put the curry powder in. Great stew, bad curry. See, we can't journey in adventure by splashing our life with a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of worship. Observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always. When I get in a plane and fly to Beirut in, next, in, in April, he is with me always, even to the end of the age. Next text, please. I'm moving quicker and quicker. Acts chapter one, and you will receive power. There it is again. Power, authority, dominion, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Dear friends, those of you from a charismatic tradition, the power of the Holy Spirit is not to shake. I have been in meetings where people shake. I may even have shaken. That's not what it's for. It's I will give you power so that you will be my witness. You will tell your story. You will tell other people, this is what happened to me in Jerusalem, my local city, Judea, the surrounding area, similar culture. Sumeria, surrounding area, different culture. And to the ends of the earth. Almost done. One more, please. So they didn't go. They just chilled. I don't blame God for persecution, but I do think he sat and looked at Jesus and said, what are we going to do to get them going? 
Rome helped. There arose on that day a great persecution against the church where? In Jerusalem. And they were scattered where? Throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Guess what? God got what God wanted. They, all the believers, were scattered where? From Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria. And then Philip the evangelist goes and meets the Ethiopian eunuch. And it's the first time the gospel gets to Africa. One more. Okay. Listen to this beautiful passage. After this I looked and behold a huge, great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Isn't that amazing? There will be palms in heaven. Heaven's way more beautiful than we think. The thought of, well, I'm going to be bored in heaven. What if I just get bored after 10 million years of worship? Oh, no, no, there's way more beautiful things happening. But can you imagine, can you imagine from every tribe and every people and every tongue standing together before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, the perfect you, the you you've always wanted to be, that's the you. I don't believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. I don't think we're getting out here early. I don't think the Bible teaches that because it says that this gospel will be preached in all nations, and then the end will come. We're not getting zapped. Pray your pilot isn't a Christian. Going down, you know. Can someone fly a plane? Because we're on our way down. No, we are here till the end. We are the community, the eternal community that Jesus uses to let other people say, oh, this is what it means to be a Christian. That's what we're called to be. Till the end, loving, caring, nurturing, healing, forgiving, generous, all of those things. So, I made a list of the nations that we as a little community have given ourselves to visit, minister, love, care. And these are the ones that we as a local church in the last couple of years have been to. USA, Canada, Nicaragua, Mexico, Wales, England, Portugal, Greece, United Arab Emirates, Sri Lanka, Thailand, Lebanon, I'll be there in April, Mauritius, South Africa, and Zimbabwe. Isn't that pretty cool? Okay. Then, where we as a collective have been in the last few years, United States, Mexico, Canada, Nicaragua, Wales, England, Ireland, Holland, Portugal, Germany, the Czech Republic, Greece, Lebanon, United Arab Emirates, France, Egypt, India, Sri Lanka, Nepal, Cambodia, Mauritius, Zimbabwe, Mozambique, Lesotho, South Africa, Ethiopia, Malawi, Uganda, Congo, Philippines, Costa Rica. Please don't tell me Christianity is boring. You obviously got on the wrong bus. That sounds really an amazing adventure. Where has God grabbed your heart? Is it Cambodia who suffered brutally under Pol Pot? Young kids running a nation, killing people at will? A generation deeply scarred and bruised by the trauma of civil war that was without parameter. Nietzsche at its very worst. Is that where your heart is? Or is it Sri Lanka? Whose political infrastructure has imploded. Its economy is dead. People are aching out in existence. And yet the church radiates with the love of Jesus. Where is your heart held captive? Sam, come and tell us where your heart has been held captive. 
sweet. Okay. This is Samuel to me. Don't you dare call her that. <laughs> no, because we have a Samuel in the community now. I know, so but it's... I want to. I'm stingy. <laughs> so I was told right in the early days when we were still in our house, Sam's coming to the community. You're going to love her and you will hear her before you see her. That is exactly what happened. And we, Meryl and I, are completely in love with this woman. Completely and utterly in love. Sam, you are about to step into, or busy stepping into an adventure. But can I take you two steps before that? Mm -hmm. One, why has homelessness grabbed your heart? What part of your story makes sense of that? Yeah, so, yeah. First of all, I just want to say... Jesus has completely saved me from death, and it is an honor to get to serve him in this way. So the way that happened was um, from about 10 to 16, 17, I was very, I was in a very, I wasn't homeless per se the whole time, but my family was really struggling. My mom was an addict, my dad was in prison, um, and just I had no basic resources. So no resources to food, um, clothes, those kind of things. And then when my mom, there's a little skateboarding camp happening, so just ignore it. <laughs> um, but my, my mom passed away from her addiction. Um, I had nowhere to go. So something that happens after you're 14, um, they don't put you straight into foster care. They actually look around for something called a guardian Literally anyone can take that um, role. And my brother, who was an addict and young, put his hand up. And so we just were on the streets for a long time um, until I got taken in by a family who was just a part of the local church. They kept inviting me over for dinner and giving me just love and care, taking me to tutoring, turning my life around. And one day they asked me, hey, what are you doing for the rest of your life? Um, I want, we want you to be a part of this family. And those are my parents to this day. Um, but since then, I just, something in my gut was like, this is happening to so many young people. Um, and this is happening to this was happening to my parents. My parents had nobody, you guys. They had nobody. And unfortunately, their addiction ended up ending their lives. And by the grace of God, he had a different story for me. And I want to give the rest of my life back to making sure other people's stories don't turn out like that. So that's why homelessness. Beautiful. So this family took you in and decided to send you to Vanguard. Ship me off to Christian school. See what happens. <laughs> so what did happen? <laughs> uh, well, I sh continue to struggle with my addictions to alcohol and um, it kind of drove me deeper and deeper into hiding um, because I was new to my faith and I was, but I was still struggling and there was no place to say, uh, I'm struggling. Um, and then I graduated college and moved back up to Santa Cruz, and where I'm from, Santa Cruz. Um, and I get a call from Haley, which if you don't know Haley, she's amazing. And she said, you're moving back to Santa Cruz and you're coming to join this church. You're and I, back to Costa Mesa. Oh yeah, Costa Mesa and you're going to join this church. At this point, I hadn't really been in a church. Um, 
I tried a few, but it didn't stick. <laughs> and um, I said, you know what, why not? And I pack up my car and I um, drive and I go into your guys' house and it's the first fast you ever did as a community. I'm really? like- Really? I didn't know that part of the story. Yeah, and I was like, what? You guys aren't eating? <laughs> No McDonald's? <laughs> yeah, no McDonald's. Um, but you guys, it was the first place that I could say, I'm struggling with an addiction and I'm quickly drowning. Can someone please help me? And instantly just, and this has been my family ever since. So, I mean, that's, that's the, just the goodness of it and community. And through that, and that's beautiful, Sam, through that, homelessness reared its, yeah. its head in your heart. What happened? Yeah. So that mixed with just from a young age knowing housing, just the struggle of finding housing, and especially when you have kids. And I, I came from that. And then I moved into a faith community where I just felt like I couldn't um, be my, I couldn't, get the help I needed. So I knew what it felt like to need something and not know where to go for help. And I started to be a part of some of the volunteer opportunities in Costa Mesa over the years. And one thing I started to notice, this city is special. You guys, the city you live in is actually incredible. The Lord is in this place. He's moving. And there are people getting the resources they need. And the way they're doing that is by the church. The unity of the church in Costa Mesa going after homelessness is something actually I've never seen before. I did not see that as a kid in Santa Cruz. The closest thing I got to help from someone with any kind of faith was from the witches. I'm not being, I'm not kidding. The Wiccans helped my family. So the, it changed my life getting to see what Costa Mesa is like. And I just knew I wanted to be a part of it. Not always in Costa Mesa. One day I hope I'm on some adventure into somewhere else. But for now, what a cool city to get to be a part so of. So you have been on staff with us for how long? Um, I was an intern four years ago, so staff three years. Okay, and you learned to be the Jill of all trades. You were the pastor, the administrator, the homeless person, the homeless person. The, um, the, the let's get everyone together. Let, uh, if we ever wanted to know anything about anyone in the church, Sam was our go-to person. So, about three months ago, you came to my house and you said what? Oh, man. Um, well, for for. A few years, I think I've just been praying a specific prayer, and that prayer was, Lord, I, I love church ministry. I love Genesis so much, but there's this like burning in my heart to just be on the street and be with people, and if that's not what you want for me, that's fine. Like I'll just let it go. Um, I even wrote in my journal, like, Lord, I want one day, the, in this guy's name, his job. And then at the end of November, this guy who runs a nonprofit in Costa Mesa takes me to coffee and he says, hey, we want you to interview for so-and-so's job. 
what? <laughs> and this job um, at the time, it was the director of homeless initiatives in Costa Mesa. And I said, uh, okay. So then I show up at Chris's house. And I'm like, Chris, I love my job at Genesis. I don't know if I could do this. And this is a really big step and blah, you know. And so we took the month to pray and consider what could happen. And I interviewed. That stuff's scary. Um, <laughs> it was. And I was a little un uneasy about the role. Um, I had a few things that I just didn't know if it worked with Caleb and I's uh, schedule. And I get a call a couple days later. And he says, hey, look, I know this isn't the job you interviewed for. And I was like, <laughs> what is he going to say? And he says, I actually want to bring you on um, as the director of City Challenge. And I said, what does that mean? And he goes, I want you to do what you're so passionate about us doing here in Costa Mesa. I want you to bring this to all 34 cities in all of Orange County. And I said, okay. And he goes, oh, and by the way, you don't have to do this or this or this. The, the three things that were making us going to say no to the position because it was just not working. So God just said, if you didn't need a more open door, here, here is the door. So that's my role. So before we let you go, there's a dream tucked away in your heart. Give us a little window. Let us peep into your soul. Okay. Uh, we'll see what the Lord does. Because, yeah. So um, last year, residents last year, are you in the house? Any residents last year? Um, and Wendy. <laughs> There's just this, um, there is this idea. Who has an idea that's like really far back in their mind? A dream. One that you probably don't tell too many people because it seems wild. That dream. Yeah. I hope we all, yeah. hope we all have those. Um, and that was it. It was this little but powerful dream that one day I would be able to own land. And on that land, I could bring people who are struggling with addiction getting off the streets. They could come into like a community-based um, alternative therapy space. So we would have equine therapy. We would have art therapy. And we would just have eating around the table, getting to know each other's safety. Uh, we'd also have talk therapy. Didn't know I was going to marry a therapist, but that worked out. Um, <laughs> But it was like one of those dreams that felt impossible. And then last year at residency, people just kept praying farm animals over me. Hey, I have this weird word for you. I'm seeing pigs. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, God, yes. Yes, bring on the pigs. And um, so Caleb, Caleb and I, our, our dream one day is just to create a safe place for people to heal, meet Jesus, and experience freedom. So, as of last week, Sam has stepped off her role as staff member extraordinaire and is now working with the city. They will obviously stay here in the community. This is their community. We love them. They love us. They will continue in their table community, leading them. How many of you are in their table community? 
All right. Thanks, all, Ben. All three of you, great table community. And um, um, Caleb, I, I want to honor you. Where are you? Just stand for a moment, please. I just want to say, I do all of this work with Caleb. So I think often, like, oh, Sam does this. Caleb does it all with me. So I just want to acknowledge that. Yeah. So that's my, my point. You know, Caleb was one of the four who started with us in our home and has been a remarkable servant, lover, carer for these five and a half years. He married Sam. I don't know, Caleb, whether you knew what you were marrying, but you have married a firebrand, and um, it is amazing that you've married a therapist. I don't know who's doing therapy on who, but it's a good thing, I think. But you know, as part of Sam's job, she gets here every Sunday at? 2.30. 2.30 to set it up, because the church whose home this is doesn't do it this way, and has teams setting up the kids, the table, the communion, and Caleb's here. It's not his job. He doesn't get paid for it. It's his wife's job. And when we're all getting across the street to have a burger and a beer afterwards, they're cleaning. They probably leave at nine. That's a seven-hour day, which if you paid for it, it's fine. But when you're not, it's incredibly generous. Every week, not I have a turn once a month. Every week, Caleb is here supporting his wife serving you as a community. And Caleb, I love you, man. You are incredible as a partner and a servant. So we want to just pray over Sam quickly. Caleb, you're welcome to come. And Maddie, we have some flowers for you and we want to send you out on a really cool meal. And just to say thank you for this, the, the time. I'm delighted that uh, they're hanging around that they're in the family and the community. But I wonder if you just mind reaching out your hand as God blesses them. It's really good that she works in the city and learns to work in nonprofits. That's where they want to go. I can't teach them that. So they are learning it on the ground, in the city, with homelessness, and then opening the door to the other 33 cities that make up uh, Orange County. It is a phenomenal gig. My love, can you join me, please? Dee, you want to come, Stu? As fellow elders, and Tyler and Haley are busy having babies, so they're not here. Well, they've had one. All right, would you extend your hands? And uh, ladies, will you pray for Sam, please? Yes, please, my love. God, I couldn't help think that you are the reason that we dream. You, you, we are created in your image and likeness, and I can only imagine, Lord, how great and magnificent your dreams are. I want to thank you for Sam. I want to thank you, God, that she is a woman who dreams big. I want to thank you that she has dreamt so many things that are in existence today in this church because she saw opportunity and she had vision. And Father, I thank you for this opportunity to dream again yeah. in a in a yes. such an expansive way in, in Orange County. And God, I want to pray your grace, your anointing, your strength, your wisdom, your discernment upon this precious woman. We love her. How much more, God, don't you? Yeah. Bless her, Jesus. Yeah.
Yes, Lord, we, this is your story. You are on about something in this remarkable couple, and we celebrate it. We rejoice with them. We pray for them as they desire to give their lives in service of your sons and daughters. And Jesus, I just remember, I think it's Psalm 16, um, may you lead them in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. May the paths before them be clear. May they know the hand of the Lord. May they know your voice. May they understand where you are leading them. And may it all be for your honor and your glory that they would bear witness to the kindness and the goodness of Jesus, that they would bear witness to the resurrection, the resurrection that invites people to begin again, Mm -hmm. to be raised to new life, that they would partner with you in the resurrection. Um, and the work that you are doing in renewing our city and our county. And so we just bless them, Jesus, and we speak your life and a path of righteousness before them in Jesus' name. And Father, we release them to this next chapter of their lives. Caleb, as he wraps up his therapy training. Sam, as she's getting trained, skilled, and equipped for the days beyond now, for the days that are to come. You and your remarkable wisdom have woven a pathway that no man could have thought of. No woman could have planned or strategized. It's just you. It's just how you operate. It's what you do. And you perform miracles. You do simple things so obviously before us. You do complicated things so manageably. And we bless them. We bless them in their coming and their going. We bless them with their finances. We bless them in their friendships. We bless them in their their Shabbat, their their Sabbath, their, their day of rest. We bless them in their shalom, their peace. May they find peace and tranquility in the robust storm that they have said yet to, yes to. And may many lives be touched and changed because of their steps of obedience. Yes. They have been faithful with little and so much more. Now you will allow them to be faithful with much. Yes, and to that end, Lord, we are grateful. Bless them in this new adventure in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, we said it's missions local and missions global. So, ladies and gentlemen, Oksana. So, Oksana's walked a very interesting walk with us because you've been a kind of a youth pastor in a church, but have been part of us for pretty much the whole time, haven't you? You came right at the beginning. Yes. Okay, so here's my, I am always curious by cultural complexity. Tell us a little bit of where your family's from. Um, My dad is from Russia, my mom is from the Ukraine, and they came to the States in 1991, um, and then I was born four years later. So I basically grew up in a, like a Russian-speaking home. Russian was my first language. I didn't start learning English until... I started going to school. Um, yeah, and my early life just lived in immigrant communities. So that's my background. So why don't you say something really nice to us in Russian? Yeah, I would have said that. That's what I would have said. At what stage did you come to faith? So obviously there's a measure of orthodoxy that you come from. But at what stage did you find your own personal faith? 
Yeah, um, I definitely grew up going to church for the first few years of my life in Russian church, which if you sometimes think church here is long, you should go to Russian church because it's How long? very many hours. Um, oh, really? Three, four, they tend to like open up the floor for people to share. So if you like wrote a poem that week or want to read a psalm, like you, you can come up. So I don't know, maybe don't complain next time it goes long. So yeah, so I, I grew up going in a Russian, to a Russian church, but a Pentecostal Russian church. So um, my mom had an Orthodox background, but once they came to the States, they went to a Pentecostal Russian church. Um, so I grew up in church my whole life. I did youth group. I was super involved in church. I did a lot. Um, yeah, I did a lot in church all throughout my life. I went to Vanguard as well. That's how I ended up here with the usual crew. Um, and I think college was actually where I really made the decision to follow Jesus. I think when I looked back on all of my years before that, I realized I just did a lot of things with people who followed Jesus. Um, and I knew a lot about Jesus. And... I was also just trying to stay really, really busy in my life to avoid a lot of the complexities of my home life at the time. And so I think I just did a lot of Jesus things. And then in college, that is when I really decided, um, really like fought God actually, and was like, if you figure this out for me, then I'll follow you. So, yeah. Last summer, you went to South Africa to Live Village. Um, was there a possible kind of international service thing in your heart prior to that? Yeah, definitely. I have known my whole life, basically, that I would at some point be overseas. I think it just has always been a desire for me. I was a little kid, and I would tell my mom, like, I'm moving to Tibet, or <laughs> just like random places in the world. I think I just have always been fascinated by the world, by different places, different people, different languages. I love different languages. So yeah, my whole life. And uh, when did Africa begin to peep its head up amongst all the other continents and then South Africa specifically? Um, it didn't at first, honestly. Um, I, I think for so long, I, again, knowing from childhood that I at some point would end up overseas thought that at some point I would get a place or a people. And so for a long time, probably since college, I waited for that. You know, I would go, I would go someplace, I'd go to Indonesia or I'd go somewhere else and I'd be like, okay, God, like, is this the place? And every single place I went, I could just see myself being there. Um, and I just felt that about everywhere. And then I met with you that one time and then you said, well, what about South Africa? And I also have this thing that I'm working on is when people say that I should do something, I say, well, I'm not doing that. Um, so. it's, it's, it's called rebellion. Yeah. Like that. Something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. I just, as soon as someone tells me to do something, I'm like, well, maybe I would have done it, but not now. Um, so I was like, yeah, I'll think about it. And then eventually I ended up going on the trip. And it, it was like one of those moments where when we were at Live, or even honestly, probably on the plane over, where I was like, oh, I think I can see myself here too. So, what is Live? 
Uh, LIVE is an organization in South Africa that is a cluster foster care organization. So basically the government places children in their care and they place children in a home with a Zulu mom. And the goal is for those kids to stay with that Zulu mom in those homes until they age out and go to college hopefully um, and get a job. And of course it doesn't always work out that neatly, but that's their goal. And they have a school and a church and everything in the village. So they were basically given a farm. And on the farm, they built little villages. About four or five huts make up one little living entity. Yes. I don't know all these things yet. Okay. I will one day, I'm sure. Okay. I will help you. <laughs> if you will let me and not rebel, yes, I can help you. Yes, you can help tonight. And uh, the whole idea was to put these Zulu orphans into a home with a mom where they will do life together. And at the age of 18, when they graduate high school, they can then go to college and uh, live the adventure. But the whole idea is as close as possible to replicate a family unit. And there's a school on site. Um, there, in fact, some of you guys played basketball with some of the, the team. I, who won, David? Did you guys win or did the kids beat you? Be honest now. Did you win with a half-court shot? You're a bully. You should let the win win and feel really good about themselves. Um, so when do you leave? What are you going to do? Um, well, I mean, the timeline is a little... I still have to get my visa, so that's a big thing. Um, the plan is probably the end of summer here. That's kind of the timeline that I'm working towards. What I'm going to do there... Um, when I was there, I kind of told them, like, I could kind of do anything. I could help with operations or whatever. Like, you can give me any job. Basically, I'm just happy to come learn. And then after a series of phone calls, once I've been back, they actually invited me to join the pastoral team at the village. And so I will be serving with youth discipleship, hopefully. So, yeah. That's wonderful. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it's just pretty remarkable that the night we want to land our fast around mission, globally partner with churches from I don't know how many nations, that we have the opportunity to celebrate that personally and in-house. Thanks, Ox. We will pray, pray you out when you go, not before. Um, but you know, I just thought it's the most incredible thing to come to the table at the end of a fast, and I'm going to have the first piece of bread. The scripture demands it. I just want to say. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. But, but I want you to think of resurrection life. I want you to think of what life in the supernatural is possible beyond a life that you could live. I often sit and think, and I'm a, I'm a kid from an African farm. I should never be doing what I'm doing, traveling the world, preaching the gospel, living in Los Angeles with a beautiful wife, with kids and grandkids and a, and a beautiful home. I shouldn't in the natural be doing that. There's no reason for that. I couldn't manage that. But when we put our hands up to Jesus in the resurrection life and we submit ourselves to his brokenness and we allow his brokenness to replace ours, it is finished, he said on the cross. I have taken your brokenness and I am giving you, it's ever present tense, I'm giving you my wholeness. It's a journey. 
It's called transformation or sanctification. It's a journey of wholeness as God takes our broken hearts, all of us, every one of us in this room, certainly me, and we engage in a transparent, truthful, honest journey where we stumble and we stutter, we fall, we err, we make mistakes, and God comes to pick us up again, dust us off again, we come back to the table, ever grateful that he who has begun a good work in us shall surely bring it to completion. And what we're going to do now is there are, there's a table over there, I think. Thanks, Sam. Over there somewhere. Thank you. There's a table over there because we've got a bigger band tonight and the table here. And I'll release you in rows, but I want you to take a piece of bread and one of the little cups of either wine or grape juice. And there are gluten-free uh, crackers for those who need. And I want you to just sit for a moment. Dane and the team are going to come up and sing over us. And I want you afresh in the spirit of celebration and gratitude to say, Lord, what about me? What about me? I don't want to live a life of, uh, of boring, bland, empty ritual and repetition. I want to live a life that is exciting with Jesus at the center of my adventure. And this I promise you that that is what will happen. Chris, how can you promise us a life of obedience is a life beyond ourselves and it's a life that has global implications? Um, when did you guys go to Thailand? 2019, three of you went to Thailand. Brutal church situation which has subsequently folded but just went to love this guy, a British guy married to a Thai woman in a, in a kind of regional town and just went to love them for, what? how long did you go for? Three months. I've forgotten. Just glorious opportunities for divine adventures. Your kids, your kids grow up in the sense of my world is not which college I will get into. My world is which nation can I go and tell the Jesus story too? Way bigger than we can ask or imagine. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. A normal, simple meal with normal, simple emblems. And yet he, in that moment, put supernatural presence and transformation into it. And I would like you to come and take some of this reflecting with a surrendered heart, what about me, Lord? You're going to have first, Lydia, because I could not. You can't? You have gluten-free? All right. Just in case you all thought I was a horrible person. Take eat. Do it in remembrance of Him. A surrendered life, a life of obedience, is a life that has lived beyond our wildest dreams. In spaces and places, we are called into that we could not have imagined. We can manage our own lives and it will be small and definable. Or we can live a wildly creative life outside of our own ability to manage a life of obedience.